everyone. Welcome back to the Lifted Podcast. I'm Helen Denham, and this is just a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So for this episode, I had the absolute privilege and pleasure of speaking with Sarah Delane, aka the Conscious Lifestylist. Um, I found her about a year ago on another one of my favorite podcasts and immediately started following everything that she was putting out personally. I especially love this Instagram Live that she does every Tuesday called Soul Circle, so you'll have to check that out as well. Um, I'm truly just such a big fan of hers. She's a beautiful person inside and out and has so much wisdom to offer us. I just feel so lucky that she said yes to this interview. And we actually spoke for over two hours because I could not stop asking her questions. She's just so amazing. Um, And I actually split this episode into two parts. So this will be the first part. We talk about everything from her near-death experience to manifesting to dream work and everything in between. So enjoy. I'm so excited to have you. Um, and I, I would just love to start by asking you like what your what your morning looks like. If you have any like rituals or routines that you like to start off your day with and, and what that looks like for you. My routine is usually pretty, um, so sometimes it fluctuates, but I like to keep pretty consistent with things. So usually I set the alarm for like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> um, I, I didn't used to be a morning person and I've really become more of a morning person. I usually like to kind of start off the morning with like a little bit of like a visual guided meditation. I get really geeky about using specific frequencies. So I usually find a meditation online that's using 432 hertz or something like that. And then creating a visualization and setting my emotional tone for how I want to feel at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really sets up my day um, a lot stronger than if I just kind of set the intention for how I want to feel during the day. It's like I kind of jump into the future a little bit. And I'm like, this is how I want to feel by the time my head hits the pillow at night. Mm. And it's really just taking that, um, I like to call them rituals, but rituals like R-I-C-H, so that time and whatever that is, particularly like working out, meditating a little bit, and then making sure the body's pretty good mm-hmm. uh, and setting those intentions and then going through like my goals list, all of that. Um, that's what I feel really creates that enriching element of our lives. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And yeah. what do you like to eat? We each have to kind of trust our own yeah. intuition and intuitively eat for our bodies. But what, what does that look like for you? I love that you say that. I love that you say, you know, trusting your own intuition and eating what's best for your body. Um, There's, to be quite honest, if you want to get into like the science of it, there's studies on both sides, to be quite honest. You can't really say like, oh, there's only one way. We can't really say that about anything. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's about finding your own, um, what's really good for you. So I can say that um, the times that I do eat, meat um it's grass-fed I'm making sure that, that um you know I'm like I'll clear the energy I'll get, get a little bit woo-woo mm-hmm. on it like I'll clear the energy and all that stuff but I also make sure majority of my diet is you know greens um as in like cooked vegetables though my personal body doesn't do good with raw it doesn't do good with just vegetarian I even looked up um cashews you know a lot of the the vegan diet even every time I would go to a restaurant that has like all the vegans main it's mostly made with cashews and I started doing some research on cashews and they're like really toxic and then every time I would eat it my like I would bloat out so I'm just 
in it. And that changes too. My body's already changing right now, you know? Like the things that feel so good to my body right now is like butternut squashes and yams and like the bright orange colored foods. I really do my best to kind of ask my body and feel into what feels good when it, like what goes into it and what doesn't. And if one day meat doesn't feel good, then I don't eat it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And your body, I love that you say that you communicate with your body too, because it seems like our body has its own kind of consciousness and way of communicating with us. So when we do sit down and we just ask, like, what do you need from me? It usually will give us a pretty good answer. And what else do you do to kind of make sure that your body is staying in tune? I know you kind of said you do some woo-woo stuff with your food, but I love that. Like, do you pray for your food? Do you ask it to give you good energy? Like, how do? what does that look like for you? I believe that how we prepare our food, that energy and that emotional mold goes into the food. Yeah. So if it's me, then I'm making sure that, um, you know, I'm human sometimes and I got to put myself on check. You know, sometimes I might be, if I'm upset about something or if I'm stressed and I'm cooking, I got to really, like, I have to check myself on that and be like, well, that's what you're going to eat now. So take a minute, right. <laughs> you know, relax, really be in the, the practice and uh, just the enjoyment mm-hmm. of it, right? This is something that's going in and is nourishing your body. Mm-hmm. So really making sure that the ener- your emotions and the energy that's around that is really good and positive. If it's prepared by somebody else, that's kind of what I mean by like, I'll just set an intention of like clearing and just blessing either the person that made it or, you know, if if maybe they weren't feeling so good that day or whatever. And so I want to be really conscious of that and just kind of blessing that food, clearing out any energy. If it is an animal product, I know the process that goes into that. So I really want to be able to give honor and appreciation very similar to the Native Americans. They did that when they actually you know hunted they did that right after they hunted but it doesn't mean that that doesn't have to stop me from um appreciating and giving honor and respect to what's going into my body similar to how the native americans do it so was there a point in your life where you feel like you had a quote-unquote awakening or some kind of moment where you started to feel much more connected with the universe and understand yourself as an energetic being like when when did that start Mm. to shift for you When was that shift for me? Was there a shift? Or did you always feel kind of like tapped in and turned on to this kind of, you know, cosmic energy that is all around us? Yeah, really great question. Okay, so I can remember times when I was very, very little, uh, whether it was having really deep, intense, lucid dreams. I used to have night tremors, things like that. I used to um, be able to sense things that weren't there. Um all the way into, uh, you know, I try, I, I don't know if you're familiar a little bit with my background, but I, I left uh, when I was six years old, the, the United States, I was born in mm-hmm. California, but my family and I, we traveled around Europe for five years. Yeah. So I was always the new kid, right? I had to, <laughs> I never fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always the one that like stood out, right? So I was the American. And, um, and at the same time, I also didn't know the language. And so one of the things that I was able to, to at least what I remember doing now, like kind of looking back in hindsight, is I was energetically connecting to like all the nonverbal communication, right? Mm-hmm. So tapping into what somebody was feeling based on facial expressions or just their energy, or just tapping into that that sense, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't even know the word empath, so I didn't really recognize that at all as a thing. I mean, I was six years old as well, right? Yeah. Um, but I can also remember times of, uh, you know, a little 
the metaphysical side, right? Mm -hmm. Sensing different things around me. Um, I would always kind of be that, that nerdy kid that would like look up to the stars and be like, there's something more going on. Like, how are we just here? And, you know, and there's all of this out there. So I was always super fascinated with the stars Mm -hmm. and always got very fascinated with dreams and really understanding that. So I can say that all of that, um, having a little bit of an innate, like intuitive sense with it. Um, but it wasn't really until probably my mid twenties or uh, early to mid twenties. I think it was 24 to 25. Mm -hmm. Um, when I had a near death experience and that just like, you just like the lid came off of everything. (laughs) So any, anything that I was suppressing, anything that I was trying to run away from, you know, to a certain extent, I was running away from myself, I feel mm-hmm. like, and that really just opened up a channel of, wow, we are beings beyond this physical body. There really is many different aspects of multiple multiple dimensions and energies and so many fascinating things happening mm-hmm. beyond what we on an average day comprehend, I guess. Um, and so that really that opened me up to sort of releasing any, I don't want to call them blocks per se, right? Mm-hmm. But as we grow older, we kind of forget these innate abilities and that were those, those, those walls, if you will, were almost um, stripped yeah. from, from me at that time. So it was like Kundalini awakening, like all the clairsentience, the clear audio, like all the, like I learned this later, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this when it was happening. Yeah. Um, but I just, I knew things that I couldn't explain it. And I could hear things more deeply than I think um, as a child. And so, yeah, there was, um, that was a very distinct turning point, um, an undeniable turning point, if you will. Yeah. So you, it seems like, but you grew up with this. So like you had these kind of extrasensory abilities, it seems like that not all of us have early on like that. So that seems to be kind of... Actually, I don't agree with that. I think we all do. Yeah. I think we absolutely all have these abilities, and and like I said, it was kind. Of, it's kind of like we're all innately born with it. Just mm-hmm. um, like we're as babies, we're innately born with just just a heart love. Like you just are love and your happiness and your giddy, mm-hmm. except for the times we eat food or something. Right? <laughs> and for whatever times you cry, but that's your mode of communication, right? Uh-huh. But you're this like bundle of just pure joy yeah and even as a kid right and then as we grow older or things in life happen or beliefs happen and we take on certain subconscious programming or different patterns of programming from you know our families or religions or whatever that is right Mm -hmm. whatever is truest for you that I feel like starts creating more and more layers of boundaries that keep us from that highest alignment yeah. to our highest version of ourselves. So yeah. I think that we all have that, and I think anybody who's on the path of discovering that is really a process of rediscovering it. Mm-hmm. It's not something you ever lost. It's just something that maybe has a couple like layers around it, and you know, it's removing those layers to really coming back to that true authentic version of you. And remembering who you really are. That was such a good way of putting it. And what I love about you is that you remind us of what we already know. And like, that's why I think people are so drawn to you because you'll say things and you'll be like, oh, she just like spoke what I couldn't put into words or didn't realize that I needed to hear or understand. 
Um, yes, because when you said that, like, I disagree. Yes, we do. I was like, she's right. This is what we're all, like, working back on, like, <laughs> unfolding and, like, getting back to. Um, and if you're comfortable with it, I'd love to ask you more about your near-death experience and what that was like for you and, um, and how that made you feel. Sure. What specifically would you like to know? About well, that? to be honest, I would love to know, like, when you died and went and left your physical body. Like, did you see anything? Yeah. Did you? What happened? What happened when you okay. crossed that barrier? So, I feel like mine is um, not uh, like in the, in the um, at least what I started looking up in other people's experiences of, of near death. Um, they sounded very, very different to what I experienced. Mm -hmm. So there, mine was also a little um, unintentional, but, um, you know, I, I was coming from Hollywood. I was doing lots of partying. I was suppressing the highest version of myself in, in all those party ways of drugs and alcohol and a whole slew of other things. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one night, if I did a little too much. Mm -hmm. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't an aspect of, oh, you know, this miraculous thing happened where now all of a sudden, like I drifted off into a beautiful, like white light and an angel came to me and said, you know, your life, poof, it's transformed now. Like, no, mm -hmm. it was not glamorous. There was nothing subtle or glamorous about it. Um, I can say that there was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of fear that came up, but it was also, um, I made a conscious uh, request in that uh, experience, right? From everything that I had experienced being younger, right, of really understanding, I'm like, okay, there's very clearly a light side and very clearly a not light side, mm -hmm. right? Just in the dualistic terminology, um, for lack of a better, deeper explanation, but I basically said, okay, uh, I understand what's happening. I understand that my, my body is not um, functioning as well as it should be right now. Um, and it was like, literally, it was this very conscious conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I had to calm my heart down. My body was like shaking. It was going into like convulsive type of um, uh, like shakes. Yeah. Um, and so I said, okay, whatever is on that side, whatever is on the light side, mm -hmm. um, could use a little help here. Mm. <laughs> and if you bring in or support, then um, I will make it my dedication and my vow to not do these things to my body anymore, not abuse my body in this way anymore. Wow. And... Uh, and I don't remember falling asleep. I was very, very scared to fall asleep because I didn't think I was going to wake up. Mm -hmm. And so all I remember is at some point, like, blacking out. Mm -hmm. And there was no memory of what happened, like, leaving the body. There was absolutely none of that. Mm -hmm. What I can say, though, is, and to, to be honest, like, all of that came later, right? The real understanding of, like, um, full out-of-body experiences and all of that stuff. Um, as a young girl, I was doing astral projecting without knowing what that was. Mm -hmm. This is very, very different. Mm -hmm. just want to make a few distinctions. Um, but when I woke up in the morning, everything shifted. Like, it was a very, very clear, like, I felt different in my body. I even had to be like, <laughs> am I, like, is this hell? Is this heaven? Like, 
had a near-death experience, mm-hmm. there's an aspect energetically of you that dies. It's kind of like a like a phoenix, right? You die and then you come into a new energetic form. Mm. Um, it's one way to say it. Yeah. Um, and so the energy that I had shifted, mm-hmm. and so that created a different energetic dynamic with the relationships that uh, I knew at that time. So those shifted and changed. Mm-hmm. Um, my relationship with my body changed. What I ate, what I could eat, and talking about diet, right? What I could eat and couldn't eat completely transformed. Could not eat the same things. I put myself wow. on a two-year detox. Two years of like, and I, that's when I tried the raw thing and the gluten-free. Mm-hmm. This is before there was any popularity of this at all. You couldn't yeah. find gluten-free bread. There was like <laughs> one loaf at one tiny little store. Right. right. So, um, and there was no soul circles and there was no, like, YouTube videos were only just coming in on the rise. So I had nobody really to ask. Yeah. And what I can tell you was happening um, in hindsight and understanding now um, is a full shift in my energetic Mm -hmm. um, state. Mm -hmm. And so every night for about two years, um, I would have anything from extreme lucid dreams to full-on out-of-body experiences, sometimes just astro-projecting, and then sometimes full out-of-body experiences. Um, Many different energies would present themselves, some not so fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to really, like, battle the the inner... It's like releasing your own lower vibrational energies, in a way, if that makes sense. Did that scare Um, you when you encountered those energies? Did you feel scared, or how did you confront that? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> just kidding. I was scared out of my mind. Uh-huh. I, I have never experienced um, fear like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to a certain extent, that's where um, a lot of, like, I believe that what I was battling after that and during that process was a PTSD to then that near-death experience. Oh, yeah. And so all of those, I mean, I won't, I won't go into the details of what was specifically happening because even some people I told, they thought I was going crazy. And yeah. to a certain extent, I was wondering. Well, it reminds <laughs> me of like shamanism a little bit. And I know you know Shaman Durek and he's discussed kind of going into the underworld or like accessing that through oh, yeah. that kind the of... So it reminds me of... Yeah. When you're having these out-of-body experiences, is it conscious or is it happening kind of... And you're like, oh, well, I'm moving. I'm shifting. <laughs> is that, I'm sorry, I'm not articulating clearly, but no, 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 no. yeah. Your eyes are, okay, so um, okay, so first to touch on um, just briefly the underworld or what we define as the underworld. Um, it uh, been there a few times, um, and that wasn't an intentional thing, mm-hmm. right? That was something that what I was experiencing. Um, I was shown really clearly to more in-depth um, understanding the the highest of the high realms of whether you call it consciousness or God or um, heavens, right? Whatever terminology you want to put it on mm-hmm. or put on it, and and then the lowest of the lows. Those can be defined as states of awareness, right? And like dimensions are states of awareness. They're not like places, right? Mm-hmm. They just visually look like places because that's how it shows up. Yeah. Right? So um, if anybody has ever gone to an underworld, right, that to me also represents that 
they're going into the deepest parts of their shadow side in order for either clearing or awareness or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's still like scary and weird things happen, yeah. you know? None of that scares me anymore, but I had to really discover my, um, I had to really discover the strength and the, the personal power through that, right? And that was its own journey. Um, that being said, though, to, to fully answer your question about, like, the the sort of realms of astral projecting and out-of-body experience, mm-hmm. um, when, so I'll say it this way, uh, when I was 13 years old, I um, was astral projecting slash meditating, didn't know what that meant at the time, mm-hmm. and... I would, I could feel myself as we fall asleep, like going through the different brain waves, mm-hmm. right? And so it's one of the reasons why I so love the dream realm and dream interpretation, right? Because it's, um, it's the access to our subconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Which is um, where the foundation of our human behavior is, right? And where we can shift into like, who we want to be in our future versions than our highest versions of ourselves, right? Or where we're limited. Mm-hmm. So alpha brainwave is the first doorway, right, to your subconscious, and then it goes into theta. And theta, that's like teetering on this line, right, to uh, like sort of right before you then go unconscious, mm-hmm. right? And then you go into sort of REM sleep. So there's what I call a wall. I just, I called it the wall because it would be like this distinct like I could feel myself hit where I would track, um, hits maybe not a good word, but I would track my conscious mind going to sleep um, and I would feel the shift of what I now know is like, okay, alpha brainwave, right? And then I would feel right when I would hit theta and right before or right after theta to then going uh, to sleep is a wall. Yeah. And that wall is, where you can either leave your body and do full out-of-body experiences. Um, it's where um, other dimensional realms are possible to be explored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, other, I mean, I would have such a good time. Like other energies and entities would come. I would sometimes set a conscious intention for what I wanted to do, and then sometimes I would just um, set a really positive intention to allow whatever would show up that was on the highest or the um, the most fun side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would do at 13 without really knowing and understanding what that meant or what that was. Mm-hmm. After near-death experience, um, things just started happening. I didn't have to hit that wall sort of intentionally anymore. It just became more innate, where every dream was extremely lucid, um, where I knew I was dreaming inside the dream. Um, Being able to control it without waking up is a very specific, um, it's harder to do. I've done it, honestly, a a few times, Mm -hmm. not that much, but your, your dreams are really the unraveling of your subconscious and your emotional processes from the things that you're doing throughout the day, as well as then these different multiple dimensional understandings, right? Yeah. So I always got very curious about what was happening and some things that I didn't set an intention for that I was experiencing um, that just felt like I didn't have really a whole lot of 
I don't want to say I didn't have control over, but it was a different experience, right? Cool. I know I might be being a little bit vague on that because there were so many different things mm-hmm. that were, um, like, just to, I guess to give you one example, um, I would have these, they're like dreams that were like visions. Yeah. And so what I would wake up with is a very clear knowing and understanding based on this experience that was shown to me in this dream-like state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I just love how you explained that so tangibly, like getting down to that wall where you're going through these brainwave states and then you can yeah. either break through that wall and ex- have these experiences. So is there a way for us to train ourselves to be aware of that wall and then make that shift? Like, are there tricks? Like, I, I know when I write down my dreams and I mm-hmm. remember them first thing in the morning, it, it will usually spur a lucid dream um, later on. Like, there's a higher probability. Is there anything that you do to, like, cultivate that awareness um, or that, like, we can do? You mean, uh, like, in the process of feeling where that wall is? Yeah, feeling it and being aware that it's there and then, like, and then experimenting with it. Great question. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, expert meditators have been doing it for years. Mm. <laughs> That's why meditation is such a huge yeah. uh, thing right now. And so I can say if I was 13 and doing it, pretty much anybody can do it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I didn't – there was no guru for me to talk to at 13. I was hanging out by myself experimenting in my own brain. Mm-hmm. That could be weird enough as it is, but yeah. <laughs> but if you're weird like I am, <laughs> and you want to try that, yes. um, then I would say, so I can tell you like um, things that help me induce that now, right? Yeah. Similar to what I was explaining before, uh, finding a meditation uh, music that has 432 hertz in it. Um, if you don't know that much about 432 hertz, please go look that up. There's so much cool research about that. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, listening, um, it's easier to, for me to have it um, like putting earbuds in, right? So it blocks out completely any other noise. Mm-hmm. And then just really like imagining yourself in that state, like not trying, you know, they say quiet the mind, right? And all that stuff. Uh, to me, my mind goes really fast. So what works well for me is visualizations mm-hmm. um, because trying to stop the train is a different cool entirely and just setting that intention to say okay let me feel how I feel in this moment right and with the headphones in right you're you're going to sleep or whatever try not to go to sleep like mm-hmm. have that not most people they close their eyes they're like okay I just want to go to sleep mm-hmm. you know try not to have that be your intention mm-hmm. and set that intention for okay I want to get really curious about this discovery process of feeling these different states of awareness. Yeah. You don't have to have, because it might, you know, to explain what it feels like is so different for each person, right? Right. Um, But sitting there, putting the earphones in, setting that intention, and then feeling what you feel in your body, Mm -hmm. feeling really present in your body, and then relaxing deeper and deeper. One thing, like I said, visualization was really good for me. So I would visualize um, a, a symbol, an image, a, a light or something like that, or even just holding the sense of a point in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I would imagine that point moving to the back of my mind mm-hmm. and then moving it down. And every layer down, I might do like an exhale, right? On every exhale, it would move further down. And then it would move further down. And I would be tracking.
yeah. feel a brainwave shift. Yeah. How that's going to show up specifically for you, I don't know. You might get, um, a, you might feel a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. You might feel um, like a little bit more tired, right? Mm-hmm. All the chaos in the mind might start to slowly uh, dissipate, right? Or it's just maybe find it harder to to catch on to thoughts, right? Like mm-hmm. everything just sort of disappears. Yeah. And then just feel yourself tracking back and back as far as you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took me a couple of times. Like you're not, nobody, when you do anything the first time, like you're not going to be perfect. The first time you might just fall asleep and then you'll wake up and be like, damn, like I didn't quite get it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the more that you can do it, like I said, I would just, uh, eventually I just felt that wall yep. and it was like, it's like playing teeter-totter, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, oh, I'm still awake a little bit. Oh, nope, I'm almost asleep. Nope, okay, I want to hold myself like right here. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly how to explain it like that, but you feel yourself teetering back and forth. Yeah. Well, you just gave us such specific tools. Like, thank you. Like, I, I look for this stuff, and it's kind of like this, you know, thing in the ethos, like, oh, how do we access this? Like, some people are capable. But it's like, thank you. You just gave us these great tools, especially with visualization and Visualization is not only powerful in those kind of ways, but it's it's the way that we're creating our reality. So, uh, can we talk about the hot topic of manifestation and some of the tools that you use to manifest the life that you're living and and what you want? Sure. Um, so, I love I love that you say right. Like visualization is how we create a reality. And the one cool part that not a lot of people know that like I geeked out on when I learned this right was that your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what you see when your eyes are open and what it sees when your eyes are closed. Mm. So all of like all of us that were like the nerdy kids that would love daydreaming, right? And everybody's like, snap out of it. Like, what are you doing? Like that was lending to our benefit mm-hmm. of our most imaginative self. That's lending to our benefit of manifesting and creating, right? There's specific techniques though too that I do teach um, when I do a little bit of the deeper work on how to specifically use those for manifesting because sometimes you want to use that uh, visualization technique for releasing emotional trauma and then sometimes you want to use a similar technique um, to then actually manifesting but visualization that's why hypnosis I love doing hypnosis with clients because it's so um, it's such a powerful tool in being able to do anything from shifting out of like belief systems and past patterns to releasing emotional baggage around like ex-girlfriends and boyfriends Mm -hmm. right to then really stepping into like that future version of yourself and visualizing that and then bringing that and anchoring that into your physical body now in the present moment Mm -hmm. so it's so fun to be able to to do that so visualization is a um i feel like a little bit of an under stated um power tool to be quite honest yeah absolutely and I, I love when you talk about too like intuition and tapping into getting to the good feeling and the feeling that you want to have and I feel like that's such a powerful tool in visualization it's, it's not just thinking it up it's actually like feeling how that would feel like am I, am I right in kind of that process like what's the most important part in the visualization process surrounding that so, um, really, really great question, right? Because as we, um, you could, right, close your eyes and um, visualize, you know, uh, a really beautiful, like, tropical beach, right? Or something, um, whatever your, your, you know, fantasy place is, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
maybe it's a cabin in the woods, right? Just to use one example. Um, or something more tangible. Maybe it's the, the kind of relationship that you want, right? Or, or kind of um, lifestyle that you want to be living, right? Um, one of the reasons, like, why we love that visualization isn't just for the visual, right? It's like, why do we go see movies? Why are movies so exciting to just go and be fully immersed in? What is that thing that we get when we go and, and have this experience of you're sitting there just in front of a screen? Mm -hmm. But is it the screen that's giving you that experience or is it the emotions that are activating you through what you're visualizing on that screen? Right? It's kind of yeah. like the difference of like if you were watching a black and white, no sound movie with someone just sitting there. <laughs> that doesn't elicit an emotion right. of what we desire to have, right? Nobody would go see that movie. Yeah. Like, it would be kind of boring. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do, it's my belief that everything that we do as, as human beings is to, like, one, we're relational beings. We're here to be in relation, right? And even in relation, we're, everything that we're doing is to experience a feeling, yeah. Every every decision that you've ever made is to experience a feeling, even if that's potentially a negative feeling. And that might sound contradictory, yeah, right? Consciously, you're mm -hmm. like, but I don't want to feel bad, right? And yeah. yet, even some of the negative emotions that we feel, I mean, there's a little bit of a thing called a pain body. Mm -hmm. And that pain body, we can get addicted to negative emotions and feeling drama. And that's where gossip and, you know, all this, like, negative stuff self-talk and talking about other people, right? It's a, it's, um, it's an addiction to a certain extent, right? But yeah. all of it is to feel something because yeah. what do you feel? You might feel anxious. You might feel, um, right. Anger. You mm -hmm. might feel right. Something that's intense. Yeah. And so for those people that desire that, that intensity, that might be through a negative channel, right. Or, um, not, uh, the highest vibrational channel, mm -hmm. but, if you were to flip that on the opposite side, that passion and that intensity, mm -hmm. like, could be used for such amazing things on a positive, yeah. right? And we want that when we talk about um, the kind of deep relations that we want to be able to have or the, the life experiences that we want. So right. I often say, you know, to my clients when we're really doing, um, like, there's one of the processes that I do of creating your future version of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like... How do you want your future to look, right? What are those goals? What are those things you want to achieve? You know, do you want to have a conscious business? Like all of that. Um, and in your relationships, do you want to have, you know, conscious dating, conscious relationships? But how do you want those things to make you feel? Yes. Not to say, and I want to make sure I'm super clarifying this, not to say that those things will then give you the feeling, right? The goal isn't to achieve those things so that you'll get the feeling, because that's the misconception too, is we think that if we have all of these things, that's what will give us the feeling. Yeah. Manifesting is the opposite, where you actually get into alignment with those feelings, and then those things show up. But yeah. everything starts with the feeling. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't start in the mind. Mm -hmm. The mind is like. It's like a. It's like a computer. It's like the. It's like the monitor on a computer, you know, or the keyboard. It's like you are supposed to tell it what to do based on your emotions. I think a lot of times we're following our mind as if, like, that's the ruler of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I like how you were talking about your pain body and why do you think we hold on 
uh, to these belief systems that don't serve us anymore? And, and how do we get out of that place of um, unworthiness? Why do you think we cling on so much to those heavy emotions, even when we know we want to feel this way, but we can't like get out of that? Like, what is that? Why do we hang on to negative emotions? Why do we hang on to negative emotions when we know that we could feel better? And it's like, why do you think we get so addicted to that feeling? Like, where does that, what does that unworthiness come from? Is it like this, is it past trauma that we're holding on to? And like, how do we get out of that feeling of unworthiness? First thing is, one of the reasons why we hold on to it, I'm going to say it this way, super clear. You know how I do it. Like, I always keep it real. I've mm-hmm. had to keep it real with myself. <laughs> As a human condition, right, this goes the, on average, right, about anywhere from 80% to 90% of people right now don't shift, we're not, we don't take a proactive approach to anything, we don't do it in our health, we don't always do it in our business, and we certainly don't always do it in our relationships, mm-hmm. those are the three primary areas that we want success in, right, mm-hmm. and so we're not always taking that proactive approach, what we do is we're, we're what I call negatively motivated versus positively inspired. So positively inspired is like, cool, look at those amazing things I would be able to achieve if I shift this. I want to move closer towards that feeling of pleasure. We don't do that as often. What we do tend to do, 80 to 90% of people, um, and what I have equally been guilty of myself, is what I call negatively motivated, meaning you don't want to shift until it's so painful. Yeah. Like, that you have, like, this massive reason to shift, right? You don't go to the doctor until you're sick, as opposed to eating right and taking care of that relationship with your body, right? Mm -hmm. You don't really start working on your relationships until you almost break up, potentially. Yeah, totally. It's just just what it is. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I've equally been guilty of that same process. Mm -hmm. And so... Why we don't always shift as much as we know that we, um, I don't like using the word should, but that we could, Mm -hmm. um, that that we would be possible of doing is one, um, because it may not be painful enough, two, because the pattern of that, right, you're getting something from it that you believe is your identity, and if you let go of that pattern, then you release this identity that you've been using for years and years that once has served you really, really well, right? It's what I call a protection program. It's served you because you needed to get out of a situation or protect yourself from a situation, something that happened when you were really young, Mm -hmm. and now it's been, you've been using it for such a long time, you're like, that's all I know, right, subconsciously. Yeah. And so you're also, certain aspects, especially when it comes into relationships, some of it is how you're trying to get love. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes, some, I've done it a few times, right? Create drama. Yeah. And then that's how they'll get attention. Ooh, I just did that. Like, the full moon really triggered that. I'll take responsibility for it too, but that's why I wanted to ask you. I was like, so, like, sometimes I find myself pushing people to, you know, fire back at me and like show me disdain or like just so that I can get fired up and feel that like and it's it's such a toxic thing that I give to myself and I, I sit back and I'm like why did I just do that like this is like it's this addiction because on some, because on some level you believe that that's what love is mm-hmm. 
Okay guys, so that's the end of the first segment, but tune in next Sunday to hear the rest of our conversation. And in the meantime, you can follow Sarah at Sarah, S-E-R-A-H, Delane, D-L-A-I-N-E, on Instagram.